What's the most important resource that you have? If you really thought about this deeply, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that Joey and I did. It's time. In our newest book, Wealth Without Wall Street, The Three Steps to Financial Freedom Through Passive Income, we talk about how are we tracking that time? Well, what is the thing that we can do to get more of that time back? That's right. If you've ever been listening to our podcast and thought, man, it would be amazing if I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Salian, today, I think the interview we have with Roger Blankenship, the podcast extraordinaire, um, the man who leads Flipping America, which has over 12,000 members in their RIA across the nation. Someone you should be listening to if you're interested in flipping houses, as well as what, you know, what, what can go wrong, will go wrong. <laughs> I think this guy knows it all. But one of the things I would like to talk about, I guess, preparing for you to listen to this interview with him is just to talk about, hey, sometimes we're forced in the corner. Sometimes whether it's losing our job, being forced to walk away from our job, whatever it is, we've heard all the stories this year, last year, the year before. And I think that you need to understand that there is opportunity and you've just got to start preparing yourself. What's your take on that, Jeff? Well, I, yeah, I was going to say that that's not going to be something that jumps out of this interview. Like it, it wasn't a main point that he made to us like, oh, by the way, I was forced out of my job and, you know, and then I decided to do this, this and this. But what he actually did, and I think this is brilliant in this interview, is he gave the blueprint of how to get your head around being in that position. Well, he right? he, he had a, he had a self-inflicted wound here. I mean, this yeah. was in a situation <laughs> where he was fired. He actually tried to expand his business well past his ability at that time to make it happen and took a million dollar, you know, in the positive operation into a million dollar in the negative operation. Yeah. And, and maybe you're not finding yourself in that same position, but maybe it is like just what Russ said is that you were rocking on just fine, enjoying the job that you had and it was just taken away. Or maybe it was a major family situation that just happened and now you've got to make some tough decisions to relocate or whatever it may be. Well, now, I, how I think, are you going to get, how are you going to get out of that position? Like, how well, are you going to take the next step towards gaining uh, some sort of financial freedom? Well, and, here's the thing that he talked about that there's opportunities all around you. You just got to figure out a way to get your toe in the water between the buyers and the sellers. And it doesn't matter what business you're in. Oh. And also if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're thinking about going, you know, head first into something. He said, Hey, dip your toe in the water because you, you really need to understand how to crush the thing at the smallest level. And once you do it, then you can scale it. I, I think he used the phrase, nail it before you scale it. Yes. And I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in that because sometimes you do get out of your skis. And I think uh, we've seen that happen over and over with uh, entrepreneurs. A lot of times we've had those interviews because they have been there and now are, are rising like the Phoenix from the dead, you know, and that's kind of yeah. where Roger was talking about. Well, and, and not only those things, but I think, and I don't want to give the whole thing away, but the value of your network 
and not only the value of your network, but thinking about your network, not in, in the sense of what they can bring to me, but what can I bring to them? And we've talked about this before on the show, but giving without the intent to receive, it always comes back to you and, and how that then turns into impact. And we've already told you he's, he's a man who has an incredible reach now because of the things he's gone through. And he's now impacting people all over the country. Uh, he, he mentions over a million and a half people listen to his show every month. That is pretty amazing. That's the kind of result that we're after in this on this show is that you would have impact beyond what you ever thought imaginable. Uh, and that comes by first taking steps towards your own financial freedom. So anyways, I, I don't feel like we need to give the whole thing away, Russ, but let's let's dive into this podcast, this episode with Roger Blankenship. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Welcome into the show, guys. We have a great guest today, Roger Blankenship, joining us live. Roger, hey. so glad to have you, man. Glad to be here. Flipping America, have flipped more than 200 houses times 10, 2,000. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Way more than 200, Russ. Come on. Give the guy well, a break. I, I, I just got, like to complicate the simple, Roger. Uh, thank yeah. you for being on. I, I know that uh, we've had some sidebar conversations. I was super excited about this interview you have made an impact in a lot of lives, and um, I'm super excited to share it. For those, though, who don't know who you are, who maybe haven't listened to your nationwide network, talk a little bit about some of the things you've accomplished over the last 15 years. Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I got into real estate 15 years ago, and once I discovered, you know, flipping houses, I... I'm kind of guy that when, when I find something to do, I sort of put my everything into it, but put, put your whole heart into it. Right. And, uh, gave it my best. And <laughs> then, you know, we were able to figure out how to grow and scale the house flipping business to where we were doing, uh, over a hundred houses a year. And I think the highest we ever had was one year we did 125 houses. Um, and that's a lot, there was a lot going on, but I enjoyed it and it, kept me fairly busy. And I, I guess probably the, um, the, the arc of the story reaches its peak in 2013 when I decided that it was time for me to really expand. And I, I sort of blew up my business and, um, uh, uh, this is not a big secret, but I, I killed my business. I went from several million up to several million in debt. And all I did was try to expand too quickly in too many different directions and didn't make really good hiring decisions along the way. I was feeling bulletproof and overconfident and uh, life has a way of uh, showing you that you're not. But, I mean, I'm going to jump in there because. Okay. You said that you were flipping a hundred to 125 houses a year. 
Yeah. And then you really wanted to expand. I, I, that, I mean, you've already expanded the minds of many just by saying you flip that many houses. There's people that will go a lifetime of being home flippers and never flip 125 houses ever, much less in one year. What were you thinking? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Like, what were well, you thinking? Like, what, where were you going? What was expansionary for you to go from 125? Well, I, I'll just tell you guys what was going on in my brain behind that was motivating this. It was, it was not greed. I was sitting in church one Sunday and I was thinking, well, oh, man, I'm having a good time, you know, uh, learning about how to run a business and do all that. And, you know, for the first time in my adult life, I've got plenty of money and really everything's sort of taken care of. And it, you may find this hard to believe, but I was working my way toward the four hour work week. I read that book mm, and Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't think I ever got it down to four hours, but, um, I, I really only worked a few hours a day because I had this system that was out there and people in the right places that were just make things happen. All I had to do, you know, I had a flurry of activity right before the foreclosure auction every month. And, uh, and right after that, you know, dealing with the houses that we bought, but, uh, everything was trucking along just fine, but I, I had this nagging sensation that, I was put here on earth to do more than just flip a bunch of houses. And uh, back in the day when I was in full-time vocational ministry, I had been involved in a program where we did Bible teaching with public school children. And it was called Release Time for Religious Education. And I had spent some time in a program like that in Georgia and then moved to Philadelphia to become the president of the national association for release time. And so I ran a nonprofit, um, an org for a, a few years and, um, traveled a lot and had a good time and helped start these programs in other communities. And then that came to an end. Um, I'm trying to condense the story here, but at this point now sitting in, in church in 2012, 2013, somewhere there, the thought came to me, someone needs to help communities start these Bible teaching programs. It could be the found, you know, important thing for the future of America. Um, you know, it's not going to be found in politics. Uh, it's going to be found in restoring the soul of the nation and, uh, just a grassroots effort to start a lot of these programs. I thought, okay, a foundation. And I, I have to admit, I don't remember anything about the sermon that day because I sat there and yeah, well, I was about to say, you're, I mean, I was feeling a little bit better now that I'm not the only one that sometimes you get distracted during a sermon and start thinking about something else. He didn't well, say every week, Russ. He's talking about just this one Sunday. <laughs> yeah, well, but actually the sermon was, uh, he, he mentioned Moses spending 40 years of his life um, on the backside of the desert. And that, that wasn't even the whole point of the sermon, but that's the thought. And I, I was start, I was feeling like, huh. I'm flourishing. I, I have money. I have stuff, but I feel like I'm on the backside of the desert. I'm not really being really useful. And that, so that's where, that's where all this started coming from. And so the idea for the foundation for renewal was born really that day. I didn't have a name for it that day, but the foundation for renewal is, and will be dedicated to bringing this message to America that, you know, public school children can be taught the Bible. If you follow it, there is a way that it can be done constitutionally and so forth. 
fast forward a little bit longer and I was thinking it was going to take $5 million to um, launch the foundation. And um, back when I was in the nonprofit world trying to raise money, that's one of the things I really sucked at. I don't know if it was a lack of um, sales skills or really my own pride and ego. I didn't like begging for money. And uh, I know you're supposed to communicate in terms of an opportunity, but it never felt like that to me. Because I didn't want to go around asking people for money. So I thought, okay, I'll fund the foundation with my own money. And then someone told me $5 million won't cut it. You need $25 million. Okay. And here's the reason why, blah, 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 blah. So foundation, $25 million. That's what was behind me deciding to expand the business. Gotcha. And what I wanted to do to expand the business was basically be flipping houses in multiple states um, across the Southeast and having employees run the flipping business. And so it would be, uh, you know, we would have a, a, a profit center in Macon and a profit center in Atlanta and a profit center in Greenville. And my role as sort of the CEO of this thing would just be making sure that those profit centers were making profits. And instead of me making a million dollars a year flipping houses in, in on the south side of Atlanta, each one of those profit centers is making a million dollars a year. And we're putting that money into the foundation. That was the plan. And um, I just suffered a little bit in the, in the execution. And it derailed me completely. It was, uh, man, I lost my mojo there for a while. Well, and, and I think, you know, one, as an entrepreneur, right, we, we oftentimes get derailed with squirrels, um, and they usually come in the form of a book, right? You get, a, you get an idea, and then it's like, okay, I must immediately um, apply this idea to everything around me. Yeah. And then now you, you got the message in, in church, and it's like, well, the good Lord's speaking to me. I better... I better take this and go right. Like this is the this is the burning bush opportunity here. Let's make let's take action, and 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 you and you start running with it, right? And and I, I see this a lot, right? I mean, we've seen as as business owners. I know you've probably read the book, um, the E Myth, and it talks about us being great technicians, right? Good at what we do, but then once we start expanding past a certain level, that's when we start running into challenges. Probably where yeah. where you were trying to lead a team in Macon and Greenville and everywhere else, it, you know, not that it wasn't a perfect idea. It just needed some help. It, it, it yeah. needed you to expand and for you to learn along the way. So what were some of those things that you learned that you were lacking, right? In order for you to then expand, to be capable, to be a good executor. Well, one of the little maxims by which I now live my life, I had learned during this time, when you're going in a different, when you're going to start something new or start in a different direction, dip a toe in first. I, I felt like I knew how to run a business, this business, so I could open up in multiple places uh, all at once. And I should have, you know, just stuck a toe in the water and nailed it before I scaled it. Yeah. Hmm. That's probably the biggest mistake in terms of strategic. That was the big mistake. And then tactically, I, I think the thing still would have worked, but I, tend to hire friends and not oh. necessarily the best people for the job. Oh my goodness. So, well, hold, uh, hold on one second though. So bring us back to that point. You said you kind of lost your mojo. When oh. you say lost your mojo, like, does that mean you just shut down the business all completely for a period of time? Or did you just pivot uh, back to what you knew? Like, what does that mean? Well, when things started going South, you know, 
when you're sitting there with a hundred thousand dollars a month in interest payments on pro- projects that are stalled, not going slowly, they're not even happening. They're, you know, we were going through contractors and, and I was going through project managers and, but I had these properties and yeah, it really doesn't take you a lot, uh, a long time to run out of money and to sort of forestall that. I started selling off things. I started selling off rental properties. I started selling, I sold my Hummer. <laughs> I was basically selling everything, everything that wasn't nailed down. And then one fateful day, my wife came in and sat down in my office and said, well, that's it. We're out of money. And yeah, so the, the next couple of months were the toughest months of my adult life because we had flips that had, had been funded by hard money lenders that we watched them get sold at the courthouse steps where I have bought over a thousand houses. I knew, I know the drill and I watched my houses go. And, uh, uh, you know, when something like that happens, you tend to look in the mirror and you say, how could you be so stupid? And yeah, when I say I lost my mojo, I lost my confidence. Um, my friends that had been involved and had money invested with me, uh, including family members, you know, it was all gone. My money was all gone. Their money was gone. And, uh, it, it was just a bad, bad time. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess I'm still answering your first question. What have I been doing in the last 15 years? But, uh, I, I really didn't even know how I was going to get it out. I, I, uh, was, a partner, I, I was partner in several commercial projects. And so I settled up with some of my partners by giving them back, you know, give, taking my share out and giving it to them. And, um, but that included the office building where my office was. So I no longer had an office and, uh, that didn't matter, but I, um, gave my house to one of my creditors and he sold it and took the money. And, and he didn't sell it for enough. So he sued me. And, um, so, you know, I, I suffered the of a little bit of humiliation of just moving into an apartment. It, it felt humiliating to me anyway. So there we were. Um, mm. and well, uh, while you're, while you're going through that one, thank you for sharing. I mean, it, it's, um, humbling for us all to know that there's opportunity when we feel like we are on the top of the world where all of a sudden it can be quickly pulled away, even in an area, what we would think is our expertise, right? Even though you were an expert in scaling in multiple cities, you are expert in home flipping. And, and there's things that went bad there that, that, that caused you to, to have to, to face the music, but that's not the end of the story. Um, well, and, and the other part of that is, is the motivation, at least at one point, was for impact. Yeah. And so do you think anything changed in terms of that motivation that led up to that? Or was it just, I mean, I, I'm just trying to understand that whole aspect. Well, I, the foundation and all that. I'm, I'm I, I think that. the the core reason for being never really changed, but um, you get you, you take your eyes off of that when you're wondering how you're going to put food on the table and what I became good at in, in the near, in in the immediate aftermath of that is just 
finding ways to make a little bit of money to, you know, keep the lights on. And, uh, and, and we did, uh, have beans straight out of the can on more than one occasion. Um, and that's okay. Uh, it was a, it was a humbling experience and it was good, but it helps me. It was good in the sense that it helps me understand people who are coming to me now who are flat broke and don't have good credit and they want to get in this business. Well, I can give them some very real things to do. What were some of those things that you did? I mean, did you just go back to the, to the grassroots of what you knew how to do to make money and just go find a house, buy it and sell it? Well, I, I bought most of my houses at the courthouse auctions. Um, and we had started, uh, diving into other asset, uh, other ways of acquiring properties. And it's a good thing that we did because those were the skills that I needed. Now it just means, uh, talk to people, network, find opportunities, find a way. And this is another little analogy that I use in some of my webinars. Now, um, there is a river of money flowing from buyers to sellers. If you're broke, all you need to do is figure out a way to get your toe into that river to begin with. Just find a way to get yourself inserted into a deal. You don't have the money to buy this deal, but uh, if you're willing to talk to people, maybe you can connect the buyer with the seller and maybe you can get a finder's fee or some sort of referral fee, and or you can do some wholesaling. You can assign contracts, um, anything that you can do to get started. And uh, then, you know, the, the more you get yourself out there, the more opportunities are going to come to you. Along the way, a guy heard about my, uh, all the houses that I had flipped and wanted to interview me for his radio show. And I said, okay. So I was, I went on the show called school for startups and he does all kinds of entrepreneurs and small business. And, uh, I had a great conversation with him. We had fun. And after the show was over, he said, man, you're a natural. You should have your own show. I said, I don't know. You know, this producer approached me about doing a house flipping TV show one time. I didn't, I just saw it taking a lot of time and I didn't really see an angle where it would be profitable. And (laughs) I was probably wrong on that too, but uh, he kept on bugging me about it and finally convinced me to start this little radio show. And I had to come up with a name for it. And I was already, I had, I used to go to a group here in Atlanta called flipping Atlanta. And then the leader of that group got her, her life situation changed. And so she, um, stepped down as the leader. It was just a meetup group and, I couldn't get anybody else in the group to step up. So I stepped up and became the leader. I was leading this group called flipping Atlanta and I had to come up with a name for the show. So I said, well, let's call it flipping America. (laughs) And my oldest daughter is a graphic designer. She said, that's cool. Daddy. Oh, I'll make you a logo. And so that's the logo you see behind me right there with the, um, flipping America. I didn't know what it would be. I didn't know what would happen. But, you know, I just got the reports in uh, for um, the month of October, and we had 1.5 million downloads last month. That's amazing. Yeah. That uh, is absolutely no, amazing. I'm sorry. That's between downloads and live streaming. Sorry. That was a combined number, 1.5 million. Anyway, people apparently like the show, and uh, <laughs> we, we turned it into a podcast in 2019, and it's sort of just taken over. And the other thing that I did because I wanted to network is along about, I don't know, 2018 or so I just uh, was at a networking event and I said, Hey guys, um, 
I live in Midtown and I'm going, I like this little Italian restaurant over here called Baranda and I'm going to lunch there every Wednesday. Anybody wants to come talk about real estate. If I can help you with your life or your business, um, come it's free. Just, you don't have to buy me lunch or anything. Just come and eat some Italian. We'll talk real estate. The first couple of weeks there were one or two or nobody. And then it was five or six. And after about, uh, I don't know, six or eight months or so it was 25 or 30. We've had as many as 65. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times it would be, you know, between 25 and 50 people showing up. I did no marketing for it. Uh, it was all word of mouth. And the whole point of the whole thing was just networking. And I would ask this question when I say, go around and introduce yourself. And when you introduce yourself, I want you to answer this question for me. What can I do, Roger? What can Roger do to help you grow your business? That's what we're here for today. If I can help you grow your business, even if it's acquiring that next deal or connecting with somebody else, that's what we'll do. So then we turned to flip the, <laughs> we used to work hard to get people to come out once a month to flipping Atlanta. We turned that into a weekly thing with no marketing and no effort and just met at a restaurant and circled around the table and, and uh, just picked another restaurant in Midtown that we liked. And that group was going great until the pandemic came. But another gentleman that had started coming to this said, I should start a, a national RIA. And we started talking about it in mid 2019 and we launched in January of 2020. And then the pandemic hit us, you know, and so the, the vision was not fully fleshed out because, you know, no local meetings, no in-person meetings in 2020. But I don't even know how this happened, guys, but we have 31 chapters and almost 12,000 members nationwide in this group. Wow. I just read this comment. It was so drawing joy. I wanted to share it. I realized that my time is not really mine. It's my company's. Now I have to stop negotiating my time for money and I need to start working to become financially free. That's exactly how I felt when my daughter Adler asked me on the way to school, dad, can you pick me up from school today? And I had to say, no, baby, I have to go to work. That's where I drew the line. In order for you to be clear on the things you need to do and stop doing and to know who you need to become so that you can stop trading time for money, join us right now at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport. Now let's get back to this episode. Now, hold, hold up though, Roger, you, 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 you're getting so far ahead of yourself. Oh, sorry. I mean, you told us that everything crashed and burned and then it was like, oh, and by the way, now there's 12,000 people that uh, are in RIAs because we started meeting once a week. What happened <laughs> to your business that you pulled yourself out of this kind of despair in this position where, man, I lost my mojo. I, I, I missed the whole step there. Well, I don't, I don't think there was any kind of big uh, earth shedding revelation. I mean, I knew that I still knew the business and could help people. I also knew that I was sitting there helping people and coming from a place of brokenness, really. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there were some days when I was sitting there at Baranda and I was kind of, you know, checking to make sure I had enough money in my account to pay for my lunch. Um, it, it, it always worked out. And I, I've always believed in the law of sowing and reaping. And I would even say this uh, at the meeting, 
Uh, some of you may wonder what this meeting is all about. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to help you if I can. And I know that if I pour myself into you and help you, it will come back to me somehow or another. And uh, in the in the earlier days of that meeting, I was saying that based purely on faith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I believed it. I, I wasn't feeling it, but I believed it. And man, oh, over the past two, three years, it's just, it is coming back to me in spades. And yeah. Well, there's well, that, a law of reciprocity a, whenever you are helping others and that, yeah. it, it, that as, as individuals, we also have that feeling of when someone has helped us, we feel um, unequally yoked and we want to be able to help back, right? There's a lot of that that comes in yeah. there. You said something, though, that I want to dig into that at every, every one of those lunches, you would ask the question, what can Roger do to help you grow your business? Share a few of those those lessons that came from that there's obviously i know you don't want to toot your own horn i'm asking you to to help because i i mean that's the reason why we have here right how can roger help you as you're riding down the road help you with your business so what are some of those things that where people were helped that that just stick out to you well um one of the themes that would come out sometime is i can't find it i can't find any opportunities and Mm -hmm. So this eventually grew into a little bit of a rant on my part. <laughs> I, I, I never ran at people or yell at people or anything, but uh, something I very firmly believe is if you are in the United States of America and you can't find an opportunity, it's because you're more interested in blame and being the victim. There is opportunity. You're just not looking hard enough. There's opportunity. It doesn't really matter what field it is. It doesn't matter what area or asset class or anything. There is opportunity. And if opportunities aren't coming to you, it's because you're not out there digging around and looking. So where, where was some, where, where are one or two ideas that you would give people or point toward people to say, here's where you could go look or find opportunities if you'll do this? Well, right now, houses are tough. It's a tough business to be in. I don't mind saying that because uh, that's just the reality. What I would tell people to do right now is, uh, well, of course, you know, you can always start with driving for dollars. You know, you you drove to this meeting today on your way home. Take note of anything. And it's it's more a little bit more contextually. I have people that would come to the meeting who are Uber drivers. Well, if you're an Uber driver or Lyft, you're driving around all the time. If you see a house that looks neglected, um, make a note of the address and get that address to me. If I make anything out of it, I'll remember you, you know, um, maybe we can, maybe we can get a deal done, but, um, so it's, it's not even, you don't even have to know what to do with it. You just know that there's someone out there that does, and you can just be the literally like, here's an address, here's a house. And there's a way potentially you yeah. can get connected. That's the bird dog. You, yeah. You're just yeah. looking for a bird dog. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And that's a start. If you can get a bird dog fee, um, then you can learn how to become a wholesaler. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, the meeting was not always completely made up of, of broke people who are, you know, at the end of the rope either. Um, we had some people come in there who were, you know, flipping houses and doing pretty well. And, 
they were looking for deals and they were looking for people to help them with their deals or with their deal flow. And so making those connections. So um, here's a guy, Tony, who is a, a good house flipper and he is, he needs somebody to just drive for dollars for him in one part of town. And you have a car, uh, he'll give you his deal machine app and you can go through and you can take the photos of the houses like you do in the deal machine app. And uh, whenever you get a deal that he actually buys, then he'll pay you. Oh, so, so, so talk about this as we're, we're getting ready to land the plane here a little bit. Okay. You, you started out in, in this whole thing, talking about impact. I saw the, the kind of the arc go up towards this position and then it came crashing down and now it's kind of come full circle to the point where it's almost, or it's, I shouldn't say almost, but it's dramatically more, of a reach that you have now than when you started in terms of yeah. impacting people's lives. Talk about that's true. Number one, how does that feel? And, and what does that kind of do for you going forward? You know, it's kind of funny because when I was uh, in full-time ministry, uh, I impact was the thing that that's all we ever really thought about. And, um, I, I never had, once I got into real estate, and doing full-time, I never had any motivation or desire to impact people's lives through real estate. But uh, like you just pointed out, um, I, it looks like I'm touching a lot more lives, a lot more, uh, like orders of magnitude more through real estate than I ever did when I was, uh, you know, in, in the full-time ministry. But the way I look at it is, it's just a vehicle. It's, it's just something that puts me in front of people to make a positive difference in their lives. And the interesting thing too about it is, you know, we don't lead with, uh, Hey, everybody come to Jesus, become a Christ follower. Um, but we, we attempt to run, conduct ourselves and our business in a way that gives us that uniqueness that makes people wonder and opens up doors of opportunity just to talk about the things that are truly important. Well, and that's, that's amazing. I think, uh, Russ and I would kind of echo what you're saying in the sense that people are all in search of something that is a void that they're trying to fill. And at first they may not be, they may not be thinking about Jesus as a means to the end of fulfillment, but they can realize that, through trying to fill it with other things that there is still something missing. And, and, and for us, I think what we talk about in terms of passive income and financial freedom is that financial slavery, like being stuck where you're at and just being like, just trying to survive is never going to make you who you are meant to be. And so by getting people to a point where they can gain financial freedom, all of a sudden they now are free to become who God intended them to be. In many cases, that's when they meet him for the first time. So I, I love the fact that you're leading with um, giving and leading with serving others so that they can see that uh, you're doing it for a higher purpose, a different reason than just the dollars and cents. We all know that the dollars are empty. 
Um, but man, this is, this has been super encouraging and inspiring and, um, we're really grateful that you would be willing to come on and share. Some of those things yeah. are not easily, <laughs> easily said. And, and we, we appreciate yeah. that. Well, and, and I, I don't think this is where any of us thought this conversation was going. I know <laughs> I, I didn't, but oh, well. It's always fun. I hope we get you back. I know there's a lot more that we did not pull out of this interview that we could have. Uh, but Roger, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.